Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we are going to look at the scriptures surrounding the fifth Sunday in Lent. Lent has five weeks to it. We begin with Ash Wednesday, which is found in the last Sunday after the Epiphany. And then we, that weekend, celebrate the first Sunday in Lent, by, followed by the second, third, fourth, and fifth. Now what follows is Holy Week. Can't wait till we do Holy Week together. Beautiful scriptures as we uh, start with Palm Sunday and we work through Holy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, Thursday, which is an interesting word. Good Friday, everybody knows what that is. Holy Saturday, and then finally Easter Sunday. We'll be looking at the scriptures from Exodus 3.16, where we left We heard where Moses encountered God in the burning bush, and then the end of 1 Corinthians, and then several scriptures in 2 Corinthians, and then finally we'll be looking at the Gospel of Mark. We left off with Jesus last week in the fourth Sunday in Lent, and we'll be looking at Mark chapter 9 and chapter 10. As Jesus prepares for the cross, so the fifth Sunday in Lent is week is a very important week as we prepare for his coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, his final week of being alive, and then being crucified on Good Friday. Let's begin with Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And what is going on here is that the people of Israel have been blessed through the ministry of Joseph at the end of Genesis. And Joseph was able to secure the second highest position in Egypt, behind only the Pharaoh. And the people of Israel were suffering tremendously by the seven-year famine that Joseph had actually predicted before Pharaoh, earlier in Genesis. And because of Joseph's prominence and power, he was able to save the people of Israel and they moved into the land of Goshen, which is in northern Egypt. They were very prosperous, and they were very prevalent. They were very powerful. The new Pharaoh was a person that did not uh, appreciate what Joseph had done and wasn't fully appreciative and supportive of the Jewish people that were living in Goshen, so he subjected them to slavery. God miraculously intervenes because he must save his people, and he must get them somehow, some way, to the land of Israel. And so Moses is born in chapter 2, and in chapter 3, God appears to Moses through the burning bush, identifies who he is, I am who I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then in chapter, the end of chapter 3 and 4, we have a series of readings that talk about God calling Moses to be used as an instrument to lead the people, this vast amount of people, out of Goshen into the promised land. Now, how in the world is that going to happen if Pharaoh is in charge? Well, if you've never read Exodus 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, and we're going all the way to 11 today, They are fabulous chapters, how God hardens the heart of Pharaoh, which is very interesting, and Pharaoh hardens his heart. They make bricks without straws in chapter 5, and so the Pharaoh becomes even more oppressive. 
the people of Israel are very upset with Moses because they believe that Moses has made that happen. God encourages Moses strongly to go to Pharaoh and to let him know that he is going to put Pharaoh in a situation where he is going to let the people go. Now, in order to prove how great he is, we see in chapter 7 the deliverance of Moses that's going to be done with the plagues of Egypt. God promises his deliverance at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. Moses' staff becomes a snake in the middle of chapter 7. And in chapter 8, we begin with the first plague, the plague of blood, followed by the plague of frogs in chapter 8, the plague of gnats. Now, what happens is frogs are all over the place, gnats are all all over the place, the Nile becomes blood, then we have the plague of flies, and it becomes so horrible that they beg Moses to put an end to it, and he does. For example, let's look at verse 24 of chapter 8. The Lord did this, and the Lord, it was the Lord's doing. It was a supernatural action of God. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace, into the houses of his officials, and throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Same thing happened with the gnats, same thing happened with the frogs. Then Moses summoned Moses and Aaron, so he summons them, and after he gets tired of it after a while, go sacrifice to your God. Pharaoh says, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. And then Moses, in verse 30 of chapter 8, leaves Pharaoh, prays, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials. Not a fly remained, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. So what you have is a series of plagues. In chapter 9, livestock, boils, hail. Chapter 10, locusts. The people are uh, of, of Egypt are just decimated by these terrible plagues. Moses and Aaron are called into Pharaoh's court. They stop the plagues. And you would think that seeing these extraordinary demonstrations of power, Pharaoh would let them go. He does not. His heart is hardened, and he does not relent. Finally, you have a plague of darkness. And he says in verse 27 of chapter 10, the Lord hardened his heart and was not willing to let them go. Moses then uh, was summoned. Pharaoh says to him in verse 28, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. This is Pharaoh talking to Moses. Just as you say, I will never appear before you again. And then one of the most interesting and powerful chapters of the Bible, and not a long one, the plague on the firstborn. One more plague. You will let the people go. Now, the point is, is to let the people go so that they could go to their new land. Pharaoh was unwilling to do that. But finally, he's going to because he's going to bring a plague to the firstborn. At midnight, I'm going to go throughout Egypt, verse 4. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh. And he had a firstborn son. 
who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl, etc. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than has ever been or ever will be. Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. He said, you are going to let, you're going to let me go after this happens. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites out of his country. All right, so next time we're going to talk about the plague. We're going to talk about the famous chapter 12 and 13 and 14, the Passover and the deliverance, final deliverance. But this this, uh, series of scriptures this week is fascinating and fabulous. The plagues, the famous plagues on the Egyptians. And you would think that they would relent and let them go but they do not. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. This has to do with uh, speaking in tongues, which is an interesting topic. Not as much nowadays as it was in the 70s and the 80s in America. Uh, Speaking in an unknown tongue, I'll let you read that and enjoy that chapter. And then we will go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So 1 Corinthians 14. Chapter 14, you'll see the scriptures listed, as I said earlier in this post. And uh, take your time, read them slowly. Again, you may use a commentary or you might use a study Bible if you have a study Bible or want to buy a study Bible, and that gives you some oftentimes very good information. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We also are looking at chapter 3, 7 to 18. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, verse 17. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Boy, that's sure what we want in this life, the freedom of the Lord. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory you want to reflect the glory of Christ in your life, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we jump ahead to a few scriptures in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 4. I love 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, verse 4, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. Verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We are the jars of clay, and this treasure is Christ. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I have no power. You have no power. The power is in the treasure that's in your jar or my jar of clay. This is clay ashes when burned. And in that jar of clay, the power of the Lord is there and the treasure is with you. And that treasure is very, very, very significant. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. That whole chapter is quite good. And he closes it off, if I could read this line. Do not lose heart. All of you out there, do not lose heart. Verse 16, though outwardly we are wasting away, ah, my body is dying. 
inwardly we are renewed every day. That's my prayer for all of us, that we have an inner renewal, inward renewal of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Our light and momentary troubles, verse 17, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Having an eternal perspective in your life is very, very important. You do not want to have ultimately a temporal perspective. You want an eternal perspective that God will give you. So, verse 18, Therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, temporary, but what is unseen, eternal. For what is seen is temporary, for what is unseen is eternal. Focus your eyes, brothers and sisters, on what is not seen rather than what is seen. It is easier to focus on what is seen than not seen. And as we are getting toward the end of the fifth Sunday in Lent scriptures, this is a very good scripture to remember, to try to keep. And that is our focus needs to be on eternal things. Spend your time wisely on temporal things, but your ultimate focus should be on eternal things. This is why the season of Lent and our reflection and self-evaluation is so important. Finally, Mark chapter 9 and chapter 10. Chapter 9, verse 30. Who's the greatest? So if you ask Jesus that question, who's the greatest? Jesus' answer, if anyone wants to be first, he or she must be the very last and the servant of all. You want to be the greatest? You got to be the least. What does the least look like? The servant of everybody else. The servant of everyone else. He has more teaching at the end of chapter 9. Enjoy it. In chapter 10, he speaks about divorce. That's an interesting subject. The little children coming to Jesus. And then finally, the rich young man comes to Jesus. And he wants to follow Jesus, but he's got too many possessions. And Jesus exclaims very powerfully, verse 27, With man, this is impossible because they're asking the question, who can be saved? If this man can't be saved, then who can be saved? With man, it's impossible but not with God. All things are possible with God. What another great scripture to remember. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. You and I can't do anything. We're just a jar of clay. But if the treasure, which is Christ, is in us and working inside us, we can do great things. He again predicts his death in verses 32 to 34. He says it three times in the scriptures. I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I'm going to die in Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to condemn me. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to flog me. They're going to kill me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise. Three days later, I'm going to rise. Remember how terrified they were? We have a betrayer, Judas. We have a denier, Peter. They all fled. And he had told them, he'd shown them on the mount, the transfiguration. He told them that he was going to die. He told them he was going to rise again. That's why we keep repeating things in the scriptures. You may not get it the first, second, or third, or 15th time, but eventually we pray that you understand what is going on and what God is saying to you. The request of James and John to sit one on his right and one on his left. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Where did you hear that before? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what our lot in life should be. That's what, where our emphasis should be, serving others for the sake of the kingdom of God.
acting like Jesus. Finally, at the end of chapter 10, before we have the triumphal entry in chapter 11, which is Palm Sunday, Holy Week, the beginning of Holy Week, blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. A great miracle in the Gospel of Mark. Bartimaeus crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he calls him. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, I want to see. Go, your faith has healed you. And as he's getting ready to go from Jericho, Jerusalem, as he's entering and, and moving in that direction, he heals him from Jericho. They, leave, they were leaving the city. Bartimaeus cries out, and you have this fantastic miracle. Jesus' last great miracle um, before his death, the healing of blind Bartimaeus. We even know his name. And so as you journey with Christ in the scriptures, in Genesis, uh, Exodus, and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Mark, enjoy these scriptures, reflect upon them, think about them, embrace them, and pray over them. Next week, I can't wait, we'll be working on Holy Week and looking at all the fantastic scriptures uh, supporting the fact that Jesus has finally come in Jerusalem and he is preparing for his death. Let's walk with him next week. Enjoy this week, the fifth Sunday in Lent. God bless you.